and welcome to the Gig Stories podcast with me, Chris, and... Me! Me, the the greying Welshman. Hello, greying Welshman. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you very much. Are you basking in the glory of um, of Wales beating Scotland and the Six Nations at the weekend, or is that a bit too sporty for this podcast? Oh, did that did that happen, did it, Chris? What, the underdog? The underdog won. The underdog. Yeah. Can't believe it. And we were, we were well underdogs. Yeah, it was um it was a good game, wasn't it? For any yeah. of uh, any of our listeners that are inclined to watch a bit of rugby. Um yeah, it was a heck of a game. Leaves the leaves the championship wide open now, doesn't it? Absolutely. It looks like the the French French team's the team to beat. Like oh, yeah. we've descended straight into sport geekery. I know. We'll keep that for the um for the the, the sport. Although I was at Old Trafford this week. I could talk about how horrific oh, that was. Thoughts you know. and prayers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how was Mordor then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just too much sport for this podcast. That yeah. we'll leave that for our sister, um, the the sports stories podcast. Which, hey, I'll be honest, I could I could quite easily manage a few episodes of that. Yeah, I've been to uh, quite a few live sporting events that are worth chatting about. Hang on, listener. Watch this space. Oh, something this brewing. Space. Oh, exactly. The little cogs are turning in Mr. Winter's head. And it's got to be said, listener, for this is only ever really for my entertainment, but I, I, I generally point it out to you lot that um, Chris does record from all around his house um, and, and makes clever use of duvets and, and various rooms. And I can confirm that he's coming live from today, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was windy earlier on today, but it seems to have calmed down and I'm basking in the glow of a wonderful sunrise. Um, so, so after three years or, or two and a bit of really intense zoomery yeah. around the world, it's taken you this long to go, Oh, I'm going to do one of those funky background things. Look at me in the Golden Gate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, was I, I, only, the curve. I only chose it because it looked like the fourth bridge. Um, and I felt like I was going home. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And who knows where I'll be broadcasting from next episode? Who knows? It could be <laughs> anywhere. It could be... Let me just check. It could be a, 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 a sun-bleached sun desert island or maybe even space. The irony to this listener is that Chris has had his passport confiscated, being an illegal immigrant in Manchester and all that. So uh, yeah, it's probably for the best. <laughs> in fact, speaking of um, trends, this week you have wound me up a treat. So on which way, in which ways did I do that? On, on our on our social media, for those of you that have have gotten caught up in the wordle craze, which I'll be honest, I just quietly do. I've not once shared my results on social media, although I'm totally fine with that. I think that's well. Lovely. Is that not like a tree falling in the forest if nobody's there to? How do we know that you've played it if you don't share it on Twitter? And I'm happy to say that most, most days, it's guess number four for me. Yeah, that's about standard. I lost my, uh, I lost my, uh, my streak yesterday. Oh, to... Um, Didn't get it. Oh, what was it? 
I don't know. My short-term memory is absolutely screwed. So, was it shake or something? It, it was something that just wasn't that difficult. I, I can't um, remember. I lost it too. Yeah. Oh, I good. So, so yes, with that, getting caught up in that, you then introduce Wordle, Gig Stories Wordle. Yeah. And it's band names. Yeah. Now, I just sat there. I've not told you this, but I sat there when you, when you told me you put it up. I just sat on the sofa thinking, how many bands are there that are only five letters long? You'd be surprised. Yeah, I am surprised. So very quickly, we went from space to ZZ Top. Space. So, so far, we've had, we're on day six Ooh, now. So obviously, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what day six is. Hang on, previous ones, if, if anyone's listening, I've just told you to. Are they able to go back and do them or do they disappear? Oh, I don't know. Right, so let's not say what they are. Then. Let's not Damn say it. what they are. But I um, just crossed my mind. No, absolutely. But I've realised that I can use bands which have got the in front of them. You just remove the the. Well, the the wouldn't be a band because it's six letters. Six. The, the. Um, but if it was something like the... Oh well, I can't say anything because I'll, I'll I'll give one away. But oh. um, but I will be using so um, just say say it was a seven letter wordle and uh, it would just be Beatles, for example. So um, right. Well, I did I did just give away uh, ZZ Top. So mm. listener, if you haven't joined the Gig Stories wordle yet. Beware, because Chris is very cunning. He's using those five letters in 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 very cunning ways. ZZ Top, for example. So, yeah. so watch out. Enjoy. I'm just going to enjoy, listener, seeing how long it goes on for, because <laughs> I, I I I I can't think of that many bands with five letters. So it's it's amusing. I I, I can't wait to see where it goes. I think we've got a good month. I think we've got a good month. And okay. then I might have to either increase or decrease the number of letters or just sack it off altogether. Well, do, do I dare mention Quirdle to you? Have you been caught up in that yet? Do you know what? I tried it yesterday and it fried my brain. It's brilliant. Oh. Just the past three days, I've gotten caught up in Quirdle. And so listen, if you know Wordle, Quirdle is exactly the same, but four at the same time. So yeah. each guess goes up on all four <gasps> tactics and oh, and those words are, are slightly more obscure. Yeah. So the day you do Gig Stories Quirdle, I will doff my cap to you. Well, it made me laugh because people were kicking off because the guy, um, Mr. Wardle, who invented Wordle. Um, oh, right. Yeah. He sold it to the New York Times uh, That's right. a couple of weeks ago. And Can I just say he's a Welshman? Thank is he you. really thank you very much wow um but people, were, people were kicking off saying oh it's not as good now that the new york times have have taken it over and then i saw somebody commenting saying uh, have you forgotten that one of the days pre-new york times the word was null as in the grassy null yeah and <laughs> yeah things weren't so rosy pre-nyt so it's you funny know, they, so give your head a wobble people were complaining the one day about cork c-a-u-l-k oh yeah yeah and so that's some kind of american thing that's like no. no i've been using cork as i'm decorating this house so yes yeah, mate, quite mate. <laughs> i mean for us to because we're in the trade 
um, we use cork all the time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Cork, roll plugs. Um, anyway, welcome to the Gig Stories podcast. <laughs> wow, that took a turn, didn't it? Anyway, hello. Um, so, so news, new, gig news. Not loads of gig news, um, but we have been getting battered by various storms this week, and sadly, um, you know, some some gigs were cancelled, postponed. Idols sell out gig at Cardiff Arena. Bless them, is now having to be rescheduled for the second or third time. Oh, really? And also, um, fans of Saturday Kitchen Live were disappointed this morning. Did you Ooh, hear about this? No. Uh, sorry, um, so we're recording this on the Saturday, and when you're listening to this, it'll probably be Monday or Tuesday next week. Um, uh, Dave Grohl was the guest, and he couldn't get in. So they must what? be absolutely what? gutted. So I don't know if he's going to be zooming it, or maybe he'll be doing it from um, uh, the the hill overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Dave Grohl is supposed to be on Saturday morning yeah. kitchen now this morning. Yeah, and he's and not on this. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I love Dave Grohl. Yeah, I'm reading his book at the moment. It's fantastic. Oh, I got it for Christmas. It's on my yeah. it's on my shelf. Oh, it's wicked. I just want to let you know, listener. Um. We are all about music on this pod, live music. But right now, it's snowing outside. <laughs> yeah. And I'm no. like, I'm like, how's it snowing outside? What is going on in this it's, world? It's not snowing here, mate. Look at look behind me. It's beautiful. Look at you. Yeah. It's gorgeous there in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Here, in, here in Salford, it, it's genuinely snowing, which means yeah. it links nicely into what we're saying. It's going to be a nice indoor day for me apart from when i'm chauffeuring the kids another three times tonight i'm gonna open my dave Grohl book i've just finished my uh, bob mortimer one lovely and uh, i got the dave Grohl one for christmas so uh, i'll start that today but i think that'll be a nice future uh, future topic because we speak about music books in today's episode well done alex that was lovely that Thank was you very much. that was really silky it's why they don't pay me any bucks yeah and um that would be a good topic for us because i do love a music book and i've read mm. some fantastic ones and they, they they've really sort of um i like i like reading ones that i perhaps don't know about the artist mm. so i read nick cave the bad seed which is one of my favorite music books ever as i started listening to nick cave and um the bad seeds and the birthday party um so i was learning and falling in love with music as i went and then that as i was finishing that book that's when i then went to see nick cave in liverpool which i have mentioned on previous mm. episodes yeah which was in the philharmonic hall and it was just him a piano and then occasionally for each song he'd have just a, a snare drum drummer uh percussionist with very minimal or just a violin and it's it's one of the greatest gigs i've ever seen so yes i think going forward we'll um we'll we'll talk more about uh favorite books the last one i read a uh, music book was clem catini's um biography well kind of autobiography it was based on a series of interviews that he, he gave mm. and it's called through the eye of a tornado which i think is a great because well, obviously he great. was the drummer in the tornadoes 
but yeah. you know drummer on over 40 number one hit singles and he talks about working with paul weller and with the wombles so that tie in with with mr mike back there and um oh yeah it's a, it's a great book i mean Amazing. it's very it's very straightforward it's very and then i did this and then i did that and then i did that but sometimes you just want that yeah because you just want the anecdotes you just want to hear yeah. what they've done yeah was that um was that paul weller my my best mate yeah i love you paul weller yeah love you paul Love you, Paul. Paul, I know Paul's listening. I don't have to say if you're listening. I know he's a regular listener. Yeah. Love you, Paul. Love he you. Mute, he mutes me and just listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we just quickly interview, um, uh, introduce the, the interview with today's guest, um, gig news. I'm noticing now this past week or two, we're really getting a lot of information from festivals now. So we're getting a lot of summer festival lineups. Um Kendall Collin has released theirs and um, various other festivals have done so. Um, Green Man, have you seen the lineup for Green Man? Green Man, that is a craftwork, isn't it? That's brilliant. Craftwork headlining. That's such a great choice for Green Man as well. Mm. Green Man uh, clashes for me with, with Kendall at the moment, but if you are able to get to Green Man and you've never been, it is honestly such a wonderful festival. And of course, it's, it, the, the setting surroundings, are, they, they, they might just be the, the most beautiful in the country, um, yeah. festival-wise. I haven't been to all the festivals, so I can't see that hand on heart. And yes, I am a biased Welshman. But um, it's beautiful, Green Man. Yeah, but yeah, Kraftwerk, that would be, that would be fantastic. And also it? Björk at um, Blue Dot as well. That would be quite something. That is the one because also they've got Groove Armada live because often Groove Armada the past few years or for quite a while now have just done DJ sets, but they're doing a live set. Yeah. And for for my booty, I know you've you've seen my booty shake and it's a wonderful thing. That's why I've got my Twitch, mate. <laughs> um. And so that, Bjork, Groove Armada, that and uh, Metronomy. Yeah, who are fantastic live, yes. absolutely phenomenal live, and also Chris Hawkins. Ah, our wonderful, our wonderful buddy Chris Hawkins from yeah. Six Music. So yeah, Blue Dot get on that. And then yesterday, as you know, I I do have a love for Glastonbury and uh, and I'm involved uh, so often with Glastonbury. Taylor Swift mentioning that she sadly couldn't couldn't do Glastonbury now. Whether she was supposed to have said that or not. We don't know. Yeah. That makes it interesting for us Glasgow goers because the last lineup that should have happened um, before the pandemic was Kendrick Lamar Friday, um, Paul McCartney Saturday, and Taylor Swift Sunday. Mm. Well, right now we are Billie Eilish Friday, Taylor Swift apparently saying no to Sunday. Mm. And I see that yesterday, um, Paul McCartney has announced an American tour, hasn't he? Which finishes just the week before Glastonbury. So I personally, um, fingers crossed that he still does Saturday Night at Glastow. But mm. let me just uh, let me just try and find. It's very funny what he's called uh, his tour. I think he's called. It's it's a play on. Oh yeah, that's it. He's called it the Got Back Tour because he uh. said. To- <laughs> said to america i promised you so uh, that he would that he would come back so a nice little uh, 
tip of the hat to get back there. So the Paul McCartney got back tour. So that leaves me and my my kids because we we talk about this every day. Who's it going to be? Who's it? you know the Glastonbury lineup is generally announced in March. So Chris, just imagine you're going to Glastow or even just your 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 own festival. I'm sort of asking you one of our questions here. Mm. Your Friday night is already taken. It's Billie Eilish. Well, I love, I love Billy Idol, and so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to White Wedding and Moni Moni. Oh my gosh, this is such a dad podcast, isn't his, it? His, podcast. His, his hoodies are very reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, unless you're a regular listener, that is way over your head. Oh yeah, sorry. So, Saturday and Sunday, who would you who would you want? Who who would I want headlining at, at my you, Glastonbury? Yeah. Who would you want on Saturday and Sunday? Oh, I think I might have to think about that. Um, so Billy Idol on the Friday. And you um, have to think of that. And while you're having to think of that. Yeah. Um, of course, the, the, again, very um, relevant to me. BBC Six Music announced this week that the the festival this year is in Cardiff. Yes, and it was great to see tickets literally boom disappear in minutes. Yeah, and Little Sims idols headlining in in venues that I would frequent. So what is that? Is a great festival. In case there are any tickets still available, and I'm not sure there are, try and get yourself there. Obviously, I love Cardiff, but it is it, it'll be a great weekend, and the the lineup is is just incredible there. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll think about that, and maybe um, when we come back after this interview, I'll I'll give you my my two headline bands. Um, I but, like that. I like yeah, that. Okay, we'll do, we'll do that. Waiting. I like it. So, our guest this week is. Um, the wonderful Adele Stripe, who is a writer and author, um, and yeah, she's she's just about to release a book which she has kind of written about and with um, Fat White Family, um, Elias from Fat White Family, and I'm I can't wait to, to get my hands on it. It, it just sounds fantastic. Um, at the start. I just want to give a heads up to anyone who's listening with kids. Um, so generally, our pod episodes are pretty family friendly. There's the odd little S-bomb here and there. There might even be an F-bomb, you know, tucked away. But my goodness, um, there's a couple of C-bombs in this, which are completely unavoidable. It's not um, not gratuitous, but uh, because it's yeah. in the name of a band. But around Absolutely. about the hour mark, um, just get your helmets on because there's a couple of C-bombs that are going to drop. Um, but we talk about 10,000 Apologies, um, which is the, the book that um, is coming out this week. And it, was, it, was such a, it, was, it was a great chat, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it, loved it. Loved she, it. she has seen some gigs. Yeah. And, uh, and um, just a, a little heads up, that warning that Chris gave you, it is actually band related and I won't spoil the surprise, but oh my gosh, that, that left me reeling. What a lovely surprise. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a life she's had in, in music. So yeah. Um, yeah, strap in for this one and enjoy this episode with Adele Stripe. 
Welcome to the Gig Stories podcast and a huge welcome to today's guest. Poet, journalist, author, Gordon Byrne and Portico Prize nominee, winner of the Society of Authors K Blendle Trust Award and the speediest typer in the world. <laughs> it's the North of England's Doctor of Words, Adele Stripe. How are you, Adele? I'm very well. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast. Oh, no, it's honestly our pleasure. And first of all, let's get straight to it. Can Do you have any proof, evidence of your speedy typing? Um, I don't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, probably a slight fabrication of the truth. Uh, I, am, I am very fast at, at typing. I haven't been measured yet. I'd probably fail in a secretary pool exam. Um, but, yeah, it's surprising when you have the right keyboard how many... Uh, words you can uh, fit into the, into a minute do you do it with um, both both hands and all fingers yes wow <laughs> wow i'm st- i'm still what, one, one finger. finger on each yeah <laughs> tongue sticking out my mouth slightly i think when you when you're a writer you um your brain kind of clicks into this mode so you have like a certain you have however many thousands of words you have to type every day hmm. and it almost feels like your brain is in this kind of peculiar state where you are just hammering the keys like Jerry Lee Lewis and <laughs> um, and by the end of the day you might have written 3000 words and it's kind of you don't know where it's come from it's just kind of come from nowhere almost. And you it's almost like your brain goes into a hypnotic mode when yeah. you're writing. So something else takes over. You're not entirely conscious of what you're doing when you're writing. What do you find most rewarding then? Is it that kind of stream of consciousness just getting it all down? Or do you do you like the next stage, which is then looking at what has come out and going, oh, that, right, okay. I like that bit and you know um what's I think what's they're the both they're both there? equally um I would say rewarding are, yeah. are both of, of those and and some writers prefer the editing part of it some prefer just the kind of note-taking part of the process but for me I think the two go hand in hand and a lot of the time when you're typing quickly and you're just splurging it all out, uh, there's a lot of rubbish in there. So you get to the editing part of the process and then all of a sudden you can make it better and you can ditch 50% of what you've written. And I yeah. guess then you're left with the, the core elements of perhaps a good story or a good article or a novel or a poem whatever it is you're writing. It's something I always wish I, I was able to do. I wish I was a writer. I'm not, and that's not me being, you know, oh, I'm not a good writer. I'm really not. I'm not a poet, not a writer. And it's, <laughs> oh, Alex, you're a great writer. Yeah, yes, no, yeah, you're, no, not, you're really not. <laughs> no, really, really not. Um, leave it to others. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I really do admire that. And I, I am fascinated by that process. I love that you said that you're in sort of just a hypnotic mode. And I'm, I'm going to assume here's a lovely segue, that you've been quite busy because you have your next book about to be released. And I would be excited to read it anyway because of the focus. But the fact that I saw on, so I think it must have been on one of your social media pages <laughs> that you're about to release the year's rudest, wildest and funniest book, <laughs> 10,000 Apologies, which is about the, the band 
fat white family. So has that been has that been sort of the focus of your time of late? It has been for the past 18 months. 18 so months. that's how long it took to write it. And the book really began just before lockdown kicked in. So I started working with Lias in January 2020. Right. And we were supposed to be going to Algeria. So the mm. band, uh, well, Lise and Nathan from the Fat Whites are um, half Algerian. Mm. And we were going to go out and stay with the band. And we, it was going to be a book that was kind of like a road trip. I was going to go out, hang out with them for a few weeks in the desert, up in the mountains, and hopefully come out of it with some material um, to write the book with. And then it all went tits up when lockdown happened. We couldn't get out to Algeria and I had to do the majority of the of the book down the line. So lots and lots of interviews by phone, uh, lots of chasing people, waiting for them, uh, you know, to be ready to talk to me. Um, A lot of it was done um, over the telephone. That's not to say that was a detriment to the book because actually I got some really great material out of people because they everyone's locked down and they couldn't go out. So people started to remember things. They were less distracted and and, um, they had particular uh, memories of the band that they wanted to talk about. So that was quite useful. Um, And I've always wanted to write a music book since I was a teenager. And I always swore that one day I would do it and I just was waiting for the right subject to come along. And I wanted to kind of blow the idea of what a music book can be out of the water because I've read a lot of conventional music biographies over the years and some of them are quite boring. (laughs) And I wanted to kind of make it more literary and more inventive and more exciting. Can I write something that's as exciting as the music? Can I write something that's as exciting as the live experience of this band? So that was the challenge, really, was to kind of create something on a level with that. That uh, and (laughs) wowzers, you've given yourself a challenge there as well. Yeah, you just saying those words. I mean, you couldn't have picked a more uh, lively, um, eclectic bands to do that with. So, so why them? Why the Fat White family? What? When did you think this is, or, or did you have a pre-existing relationship with them? Well, um, I wrote a pamphlet for Rough Trade Books. Yeah. So Rough Trade Books um, do these pamphlet editions and lots of different writers writing about many different subjects. And I was at Port Elliot down in uh, Cornwall, which is a festival. And I was interviewing Viv Albertine about her book um, on the court by the river stage, which is run by Heavenly Records. Yes. And, is that Robin? Um, Robin and Jeff and all of yeah. that crew. Yeah. Um, and Nina from Rough Trade Books was at the festival and she came up to me and she was like, do you want to do a Rough Trade edition for us? on anything you want, but I know you're a music person. So do you want to do a, do a music edition for us? Any style you want, I'll leave it up to you. Wow. And I was like, ah, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe I will. And I had a little bit of a think about it. We had a chat 
and she said you know if you want to interview someone really famous I can we can see if we can get them for you through rough trade channels and so my first the first person I wanted to interview was Iggy and I wanted to talk to Iggy about his art collection because he's got a really uh, incredible collection of Haitian art at, uh, at his home in Miami and I thought that might be quite interesting to talk to him about that but then I got a bit freaked out I just thought I can't interview Iggy like I'd just shit myself <laughs> and I think I'd just probably clam up a bit I think I'd just be I just kind of it's just a bit too much of a hero and I just thought I probably wouldn't perform very well in the interview. I think I'd be a bit starstruck. Um, and so then I wondered about interviewing maybe somebody a little bit closer to home. And I'd seen the Fat White family play a few shows and they were just phenomenal. And I'd read their interviews and they were the most dysfunctional band yep. in the country at the time. And they reminded me a bit of the Happy Mondays <laughs> and I knew they had a unique story and I'd already kind of seen that in the interviews that they'd done. And I thought, actually, maybe I'll do the Fat White Family. I'll see if they're up for it. So I managed to get in touch with them. And um, Leas and Saul agreed to let me come and interview them. So I did two long form interviews with Leas and Saul and they were really great. And we put the pamphlet out it did very well it was an Irish Times book of the year this is just like a, a, a small pamphlet um, and it was very very well received and people loved it Lee Braxton who's the publisher at White Rabbit Books who you might have heard of yeah. um, he read the pamphlet and then just sent me an email and was like Adele can you turn this into a book can you make this longer this is dynamite and he Brilliant. emailed me at five o'clock in the morning because he was so excited about it when he oh, read it. Oh, that's a nice little bump, isn't it? Five in the yeah. morning. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, you've got to go there. Can you do this? Can, is, can you transform this into something bigger? Can you make it long form? And um, I had a chat with Leas and Leas was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. Um, I didn't know at this point that Leas could write. And it's very unusual to find a front man who can write well I would say probably Julian Cope is the best one out there Julian Cope I mean head-on repossessed brilliant brilliant pieces of writing um Ian Hunter from Mott the Hoople his book Diary of a Rock and Roll Star is really really good yeah uh, there are some examples of um performers who can write but not all of them kind of have have a sense of style or honesty that is required um, and then Leah started sending me his tour diaries. So he was emailing me from tour on tour in Europe with the Fat Whites. And it was like he was having a complete nightmare. And he'd send me like two or three paragraphs, like a missive from the tour bus. And it was so funny what he was sending me. <laughs> I just thought if I can if I can lock him down for a, a stretch of time and just develop his writing a bit and give him a bit of encouragement I think there's something special here yeah and I was right because actually he's contributed quite heavily to the book we've co-written it we've worked together it's really collaborative um but he is a really really good writer and very 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 funny I mean yeah. the fat white family are a funny band people who take them seriously 
do so at their peril because yeah. you must take them with a pinch <laughs> of salt, a very big pinch of salt. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I was watching. I was watching the the one of the videos on YouTube uh, yesterday of the fat white Manson family. Uh, oh yeah. Which um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. It's and I, I don't have many words to be honest. <laughs> um, There's not many well, bands out Saul, there like that. Yeah, that was one of Saul's. Um, side projects in like 2014 or something yeah um but yeah i mean they, they all they, i mean there's been 29 members of the band yeah and yeah. they've all done lots of different projects some of them are together some of them are separately i mean uh adam harmer who's been in the fat whites from the beginning really he's the guitarist in warm doucher um uh, saul has insecure men he works with the Black Lips. Um, Leas had worked with the Moon Landings um, together. Leas and Saul had worked with the Eccentronic Research Council. Um, Nathan has his Brian Destiny act that he's doing at the moment, which is really good. They're all very productive, despite their um, dysfunctionality. Yeah. Um, but also, I like the um, the idea of chaos as well because I've I've only seen them live once. I photographed them on the NME tour. Oh, did you? What year was that? Uh twenty seventeen, I think maybe. All oh, right, okay. So it was them and Slaves, and it was supposed to be um, Amazing Snakeheads. Um, oh right, was Dale? Yeah, but they just Dale pulled they, out. Yeah, they they split up, and I th was it witches? I think witches. Um, yeah, um, were, were on the same bill. Yeah, and the uh, oh, sorry, my dog's barking. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but after being to so many gigs, both as a punter and as a as a photographer, there aren't many times that I would go to a gig with a sense of trepidation. <laughs> Did you know what I mean? And to, the fact that, I, I, as far as I knew, there was slaves, fat white family, and amazing snakeheads, uh, and I, I thought this is going to be a dark evening, or it's, or it's going to be some some kind of evening anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it turned out to be so. I mean, it was it was pretty pretty full on, but yeah. Did you, you get some good photographs. Kind of. I, I seem to remember there was a lot of red lighting, which is always a nightmare when uh, mm -hmm. for a photographer because you, yeah. you can't really do much with them. But yeah, I think I think so. I, I need to look back and I'll pop a, a wee gallery on the on, on our website. Well, but, I mean, uh, of course, like Dale from the Amazing Snakeheads ended up joining the Fat Whites. Did so he? We, yeah, he was in them. So oh. there was a period when Saul wasn't in the band and was on gardening leave. Right. And Dale joined the band and stepped oh. in. And he, that was the first time I ever saw the Fat White family. And it was, was it? at the Trades Club in 2015 on the Songs for Our Mothers tour. Right. And Dale Barkley blew the venue apart. I have oh. never seen anybody perform like that. Him and Leah's together were just incredible. That gig is the one of the best gigs I've ever seen. And I've seen many, many gigs yes. over the years. Yeah. But the Fat White family in 2015 in Hebden Bridge, there were, I mean, just to give you a little bit of um, an overview of what happened that night, we live in Hebden Bridge. There are many uh, problems with flooding around mm. here. So yeah. we have 
a very steep topography in the valley. You'll have seen the images of our town getting flooded in the media. So yeah. we are known for it. The night that the Fat Whites performed, they turn up and the flood sirens are going in the valley. And when, when it starts to flood, we have the Second World War air raid sirens going really? on. Yes. And it's really wow. eerie. Wow. And they echo all down the valley. And it's um, it's actually quite frightening because you know the water's coming. And mm. if you live at the bottom of the valley, you're in trouble if you hear those sirens. So you have to clear your house out. So the fat whites turn up and they'd been in the van smoking DMT. Um, so that's a, a very strong ayahuasca um, substance, a, 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 an extreme psychedelic that is also known as the businessman's lunch trip because it only lasts for half an hour. And you could potentially, you could, if you were working in your call center, you could go off, smoke some DMT at lunchtime and then be back at your desk half an hour later. And you could have 15 minutes either side. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they'd been blasting DMT on the way here and they get out of the van and there's these air raid sirens going <laughs> off all around them. And they're like, oh, what's going on? They turn up. And they play the, one of the most wonderful shows. And it's one of these gigs that you read about uh, when you're reading like England's Dreaming or um, Lipstick Traces or and any of these books that are kind of about punk or the history of punk. And you read about these shows and you think, fucking hell, I wish I'd seen a gig like that. I wish I'd been there. This was one of those gigs. Yeah. We had no preconceived ideas about what they would be like I actually thought they'd be pretty crap and and I thought they they might be a bit haphazard so I didn't actually think they were going to be any good um because of the flooding half of the audience couldn't get to the show so it was sold out but it had cut all of the train tunnels off from Manchester and Leeds ah. and flooding on the line so it was only half full even though it was fully sold out yeah so they ended up letting in loads of like the local farmers <laughs> came down <laughs> off the tops and like the sort of hippies and the hillbillies. So it was like, a, and all the old punks, people were just coming in. They were letting them in to fill the venue up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you had this really it, sort of odd mix of people in the audience and um, they came on and they set the place on fire. Like I just... You know, there's this whole thing about breaking the fourth wall, about Arto's Theatre of Cruelty. Jim Morrison did it. He was the first one to jump into the audience. Mm. And Leas did it. You know, he went down into the audience. He was, like, dancing in the audience. Um, it was a really heavy atmosphere. Dale Barkley is a, a great guitarist, a wonderful singer, actually. I mean, he reminded me of um, uh, uh, Alex Harvey. You know, wow. it's like, it's, it's, his voice was like Alex Harvey's. Um, yeah. And so Dale was playing and, and then this idiot in the audience gets up onto the stage and he tries to pull Dale's guitar off him. Now, Dale is like quite, Dale used to be a stonemason and he had big stonemason's hands and he was a tough Glaswegian, you know, Whoa. do not fuck with Dale Barkley. Wow. This guy tried to pull his guitar off him. So, well, that went well. So uh, Dale ended up, like, smacking this guy off the stage. 
Then he splattered into the audience, one of the audience members, and he 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 was really inebriated. So I think he'd probably had a fair few pints before he got into the gig. And then there was a big pile on. So then the audience started, like one guy in the audience started booting this guy who was down on the floor. They had to stop the gig. It was just proper chaos. It was like a proper punk gig where the audience started like beating each other up. The band had to stop. Everything had to be calmed down. But it was just completely wild. Yeah. And I watched this show from, from the side and I, it was like one of the great performances. You know? yeah. Yeah. And Lias was such a natural. He's such a brilliant frontman. Um, it was completely spontaneous. None of it felt like it was scripted or acted. You watch some performers and they're obviously like going through the motions, but they weren't doing that. And the band themselves uh, admit that that was probably the best show they ever played. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and I just happened to be there. I was really lucky. And everybody who went to that show walked out of there and it's become, gone down in local history as like one of the great shows. You know, like the Sex Pistols at the Free Trade Hall yeah. in Manchester. Yeah. Everyone claims everyone was there. there. Yeah, yeah. Th- like around here, the Fat Whites in 2015. That's the show. Um, you know, so it's gone down in folklore. I love that about a gig. I love that you can have that chaos, but still think this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And I think yeah. what what makes that is genuine is there's a genuine um feeling performance from the artist yeah it's not it's not set up it's not it's not choreographed and you don't know where it's going to go so it's unpredictable yeah yes absolutely and and you and you can feel that as well you you can Mm. feel that hang on this could go anywhere yeah. And uh, and there's so many artists like like that. I was lucky to see some of the early Manix gigs where yeah, yeah, that yeah. was very much like that. And then you have um, you know bands like at the drive-in that were very similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they, they were pretty similar. Like they were quite explosive. Exactly. And and you were talking about books and writing. One of my favorite books, and it's more not not just the writing; it's more the story of it. Is um, Nick Cave. The bad seed yeah and i read about those early bad seed gigs yeah and exactly. what you've just said there if well, we that's hadn't what I thought said when it I was, was fat white them. yes yeah I, I was watching Perfect. them and i thought this is like the birthday party exactly they're like, the birthday, they're, they're like party. birthday party or they're like gun club or yes. um you know they just had that kind of edge to them that dark edge but also quite garagey and 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 also a, a little bit all over the place but it all kind of yeah it just worked yeah and, 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 and it's so visceral as well yeah. and i remember reading you know some of those some of those stories where at the birthday party gigs nick cave would smash an audience member of the head with the mic or kick him in the face yeah and as you read yeah, and you're yeah. thinking that's not criminal. It was real punk raucous. And then there it's all that is happening yeah. everywhere. There was like a visceral, a visceral violence to what they yes. did. Yes. And I think with with Leas watching him on stage, it, I was trying to kind of work out what it was about him that was compelling. And to me, it's it's like he seems like he's lost but also entirely in control at the same time. And I can't, and you never know which one it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, 
yeah, he, he seems lost and almost not wanting to be there, but also wanting to absolutely own it at the same time. It's it's a really curious thing that he does, and I don't really want to pin it down. I don't want to know what yeah, it is good. that he does, because it would probably lose it. Well, he transforms. So yeah. actually, the Lias off the stage is very different to who you see on the stage. Oh, he yeah, becomes sure. something different when he gets up there, so... Um, you know, we will sit down and write. And he's very, you know, he's actually quite studious, Lewis. He, he, he likes reading. He likes writing. That's what he does in his downtime. Um, he's not this rock and roll animal that you see yeah. on the stage. He's, he's very, he's very different. And actually he's quite, I would say he's quite, um, he's quite introvert, like in comparison to what you see on yeah. the stage. He just happens to be a very good performer and he can bottle that. And then he can, as soon as he gets on the stage, he can just turn into something else. I think there's a thread there. And I think that thread that links them is that intelligence. And I don't I don't want to sound like a, a, a twat or, or patronise anyone or suggest what intelligence is. But for me, there's that shows they're genuine and there's mm. an activism to it. So to, to go back to my staple, which is the Manics, it wasn't just chaotic off the stage. They were studious. They were intelligent. Yeah, they were able, they were able to back it up. And I said in our last episode, just a few weeks ago, I saw idols in Manchester yeah. and they have a similar energy and it, the gig for me at the, at the other night was very evangelical. And Joe, the, the, the lead singer is very similar It's a genuine, genuine performance in him and he becomes someone else and and then speaking to him off stage it's very very well read very uh very knowledgeable and can back up what he's singing about and what he's and i think that is a thread with those kind of performers like nick cave and um and and the fat white they they are yes they may be chaos but there's a real intelligence to it all oh yeah definitely yeah We're going to take you in a in a time machine now, and um, <laughs> take you back to when you first fell in love with music. Um, what what was it? What was the what was the trigger? Or was it something that was all was always around you when you were growing up? Uh, yeah, it was always around me growing up. So my parents were into music, and they had a record player and a collection of vinyl. Not an enormous collection, but quite a comprehensive one. And we didn't really have any books in our house. We weren't a kind of cultural, <laughs> a cultural household, let's put it that way. My mum and dad, you know, the only thing they really had was music in the house. And actually, I consider that to be my the start of my education. My cultural education was through music. And so there's a photograph of me with big headphones on <laughs> when I was about three. And they just used to let me sit there. And I would listen to their music, you know, from beginning to end. I would get all the vinyl out and I would put the records on and look at the record sleeves, open them up, like look at the vinyl, the whatever was etched in the vinyl. I would look at all of the photographs um, and read the lyrics 
and it was like a whole world opening up to me so that was from being as, as probably as young as I can remember probably from the age of three and what was in their collection um okay so my mum really liked Scott Walker so I used to listen to Scott Walker um my parents were really into sort of soul music so they liked a lot of the Motown um artists and like Marvin Gaye um we had quite a few of his records um also some more kind of naff rubbish 80s stuff um so the things like uh elkie brooks um was it bread do you remember oh, bread i loved bread yeah yeah that was that was in my, my parents collection yeah, yeah. Love a bit yeah. of bread um, so what's his name uh, gates um can't remember his first name gates yeah, yeah the david david gates that's it yeah david and what yeah. a songwriter yeah, um, <laughs> yes. but also like it would be like 10cc, Hall and Oats, um, and yeah, I, 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 Carly Simon. Yeah, wow. I, see, there's some solid stuff in here, Adele. Some yeah, solid yeah, this solid. Any Doctor Hook at all? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, probably actually, but my <laughs> mum's great love, my mum's great love was the Moody Blues, Ooh, and so we had nice. every Moody Blues album. <laughs> And um, I was talking to my sister about this recently um, and she was laughing her head off. So what I did when I went to grammar school, so I was about 12 years old and they asked us to write a poem and I copied some of the Moody Blues lyrics down and I handed it in and I pretended that I'd written this great (laughs) romantic poem. And the teachers were like, we didn't realise you were so talented and I had to keep this lie up for about three weeks and they asked me to bring another one in so I had to write another Moody Blues <laughs> poem <laughs> and oh, then brilliant. I was busted like they bust somewhat I think one of the teachers at school was a Moody Blues fan and I got absolutely busted for it oh wow and much to my embarrassment <laughs> You, you are not. You're not the. You're not the only person to do that, Adele. I'm going to out him because I know he's a listener. One of my very best friends, Ray. He did exactly the same. We grew up in Cardiff, and on St David's Day, we have an ice death bod, and you have to write poems. For, oh yeah. And and he ripped off the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> Brilliant. All the police. There's a madman around. Did anyone did anyone notice? I think later on they did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which one did he do West End Girls or something? Yes. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Not like a B-side or anything. No, no. One, yeah. one that was at number one for five weeks or something. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Rookie mistake. So yeah. so when um when we were aware of uh, live music then. In, in sort of any form, you know, when did that sort of come well, in? Well, I, I was uh, probably like you, I was a uh, top of the pops obsessive. Um, yes. So I used to watch that every week and I would also listen to my dad talking about the gigs that he'd been to when he was younger. So my dad was um, very much into rhythm and blues, like in the 60s, and he saw a lot of those great acts um and he would like talk about that as one gig in particular he would talk about with reverence which was seeing Jimi Hendrix in Leeds 
which wow. must have been about 67, I think, at Leeds Odeon or Leeds ABC. Um, and my dad, it was just for him, like probably the greatest moment in his life was yeah. seeing Jimi Hendrix play. Wow. Um, and so I became aware of live music through dad talking about it. Uh, we didn't have any live music venues in the town where I grew up. It was a bit of a, a crappy northern brewery town. So we didn't have any cultural provision. Um, mm. But I had some friends who had older brothers who, who maybe were in a band in the town. So you start to become aware of music at that point. Um, but the first gig that I went to was the Moody Blues and I was, was about it? 10 Brilliant. and my mum took me to Halifax Victoria Hall and I'm not sure if it was the Moody Blues or it was Justin Hayward and some of the Moody Blues were playing. Right, okay. And my mum only wanted to really go and hear them do Nights in White Satin. Um, <laughs> and the rest of it was quite boring. And I remember my mum sort of like sighing. She sat on the chairs and she was sighing. So I think that was the first gig that I went to. And maybe I was about nine or something, like nine or ten. So it wasn't it wasn't very punk. <laughs> Well, Let's Moody Blues. I, when you when you mentioned Moody Blues, it's just triggered a memory in me because my my folks were well into the the music, but um, they had a compilation LP and Moody Blues was on it, and it was a song called Go Now. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, honestly, it just takes me right back, and I love that song. Absolutely love yeah. it. Um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of quite early on in the Moody Blues career. I mean, they went yeah. very prog later on with Threshold of a Dream and all of those. Yeah, those this was definitely kind of um, um, kind of mid to late 60s, I think. That, yeah. That, that, that I'm, I'm loving this uh, detailed Moody Blues chat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I like, this is quite nerdy. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Anybody no, no, no. Who's I, I like listening. this. It's a step <laughs> up. It's a step up from Shawadi Wadi, which is where it normally descends to um, most episodes. So um, yeah, happy to have Moody Blues carry the baton. <laughs> and, and just a reminder: if you've not heard the episode with Catherine Williams, her anecdote about the. <laughs> Shawadi Wadi as a child is an absolute belter. And it's not safe, not safe for children. Okay. So okay. just <laughs> approach with caution. Um, so what was your first pun, uh, punter gig? The, the, the one where you bought the ticket yourself and went, right, that's my band. I'm going to go and see them. Yeah, I think it was uh, the wedding present at the Duchess in Leeds. I must have been about, I was maybe about 14 or 15 or something and my friend's band was supporting the wedding present so wow. I went to see them and it was really exciting. Was that when they were releasing a single a month? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that, is, that must have been about 91. Yeah Na I remember because I've, I've got a couple of friends who w went to see them um, in, in the Scottish borders they were they were touring everywhere and yes. yeah, single a month <laughs> for. And those singles are great, actually, yeah. from that year. Um, I really rate them. I think I think they still sound good. But yeah, I think it might have just been after George Best, yeah. and they did the singles. Yeah. So it was it during was, that that's period. Right. Yeah, yeah. So Too they were much really... apple pie. pie. I love yeah. that. <laughs> and you have to go see the wedding present in Leeds. You know, that's like the place to see it. And the yeah. Duchess was. The, ven the first venue that I really fell in love with and I used to go pretty much every week from being about 15 
Um, and I, I attended it religiously. Uh, yeah. So I saw loads and loads of bands there. And that's that was it for me. You know, um, that was that was my hobby from from being a teenager. That's a great first gig. What were your what were your friends bands called? Uh, my friend was in a band called the Bedbugs, <laughs> who were like no one will have really remembered them outside of Leeds. But he played <laughs> okay. the drums. Um, and around that time, there was, uh, it was before Britpop happened. So yeah. I remember the new wave of new wave kicking in and we would go and see bands like These Animal Men and Smash. Yeah. Um, and um, we used to go out in York quite a lot. And there was a venue called the Bonding Warehouse and one called Fibbers. And mm. bands like Shed Seven started coming through and, um, and I remember this all happening very quickly. And then we went to see, I remember Oasis coming through and they sold out at the Duchess. And then we went to see them at the Irish Centre and Whiteout was supporting them, I think. Oh, great band. And I remember seeing um, Elastica at the Duchess, oh, um, wow. Pulp, who were magnificent actually pulp at the duchess were at the duchess yeah which was like a pulp i think around the time of razzmatazz and babies so it was a, just before like Britpop really took off mm. um and that's my favorite pulp i'm not being that idiot but yeah that period yeah sheffield sex city is the best pulp song for me um yeah but yeah, I remember going to see them there. Um, but another band who I also thought were really great at that time um, was Verve. And Verve played at the Duchess and I saw them. And this was when Richard Ashcroft was dancing barefoot and throwing glitter at the audience. So yeah. this was Storm in Heaven, like, and they were really psychedelic. And yeah. they were really, really wonderful. Um, they went downhill after that, but but I remember at that time it, they were really on fire. Again, I agree. I agree. Not trying to be cool, but that yeah. that earlier I saw them sort of live throughout their career. And yeah. you're right, those earlier performances where it was uh, psychedelic. I don't know if I'd use that word, but you're correct. It sounded yeah. like can, you know, they yes, were like can. Yeah, exactly. And I remember yeah. they came out and like Four Horsemen was playing uh, yes. for Dighty's Child, and it was just like really, like quite exciting at that time. Yeah, I was a big fan of History and that that kind of that kind of time. I think that was about yeah, the, the limit of the, yeah. Uh, the, this is music, and um, I went to see them play uh, at Hague Hall, and John Martin supported them. Really? Oh, that was the that was their big gig, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So so like. I, can't remember how it happened but I ended up at Hague Hall and I'd seen them right at the beginning and I thought I'd go and see them which was effectively like at their peak it's always like quite good to do that I think when you see mm. when you've seen a band kind of grow and it's nice to go and watch them play a massive show yeah. so we went we went to Hague Hall and I remember John Martin came out on stage and he had a steel guitar and I think he had one leg at this point and he had yeah. a rain mac on and he came out and played and he got booed by all these idiots in the audience. And he was playing solid air. I mean, it was beautiful. I didn't know who he was, but mm. I, I, I remember mm. just being blown away by this sound. And he was yeah. far better than Verve were that day. John yeah. Martin was incredible at that gig. 
And I was so embarrassed because there were so many fucking morons behind me. Sorry for swearing there. No, I'm um, There were just complete idiots in the audience. And I just thought, I, I don't want to be here. Like, I, this guy is obviously an incredible musician and no one's showing him the respect that he deserves. Yeah. You know, gigs can be infuriating, can't they? Yeah, that should have been a privilege. Seeing John Martin perform Solidaire and at that, he is just unbelievable. Well, if you hear him play May You Never and, yeah. you know, name me a song that's better crafted than yeah. that, and oh, I'll be surprised. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But then you're surrounded by these Muppets who are like throwing bottles and you just think, I, I, I don't want to be here. You know, it was, it was really unpleasant. That was the edge that came with with a lot of those bands didn't it in Britpop yeah the Verve yeah um, Oasis Oasis yeah know. they're all like everyone's like coked up they've had loads yeah. to drink they're just it's like they're like they're at the football or something these yeah. lads you know and- now you've you've just you've just blown my mind for the past few minutes because that was just I really enjoyed the past few minutes there <laughs> because of you just spouted a load of bands that I got really excited about. And I've just got to go back purely self-indulgent because if anyone mentions them smash, I, <laughs> I, I, I need to talk with them because me, me and my friend Chanty, a few of us back at home, Seth in Cardiff, we saw them oh, various places, including the Welsh club, Club Evo Bach, one of my favorite venues yeah. and smash were incredible and you got to see them live did you yeah 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 so smash a few times yeah and they were another one of those bands that there was just sort of mayhem and chaos uh, and just yeah. uh, those being in the audience for for those gigs and i think criminally underrated it was such a shame that they they didn't continue it was really quite there. exciting it was very yeah. exciting at the time being like 15, 16, yeah. go to see those bands. And know. these animal men. Yeah, I mean, I loved these animal men. Yeah, yeah. fabulous. <laughs> there were a few in there that really deserved to to be bigger. I mean, you mentioned Whiteout, and I, I was a big fan of Whiteout. I didn't get to see them live, um, but, yeah, th- again, kind of beautiful, kind of Beach Boysy, sunshine, pop, Jangle, I just loved them. I thought they were great. They they sort of passed me by. I knew who they were, and so it, are, are they? Is that someone that I should go back and revisit? Glasgow, I think they were Glasgow. Uh, they're certainly yeah. Scottish band. I'm pretty sure they were Glasgow, but they they supported um, Oasis in the previous tour before. Definitely, maybe I think. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, yeah, and so yeah, got a bit gutted that I, I missed them, but yeah, there's some some lovely stuff by them. Um, and you mentioned one of my favourites, Shed 7 there. Um, <laughs> you know, they Shed used seven. to, the Shed 7, uh, like I used to go see them playing Fibbers and um, I knew <laughs> them a bit. I really liked Tom actually. And, He's um, lovely. Tom, Tom was a sweetheart and I knew them all because we'd see them in the pub and we all used to drink down the Lowther together. And um, they always used to play um, a cover of Iron Maiden, Can I Play With Madness? That was, <laughs> that was, and honestly, they were really good at it. It was, I, I always thought it was the highlight of the night when they did Can I Play With Madness? Yeah. So if ever you go and see them, 
that's what you should shout at them from the audience because well, that's a, quite a niche. That's a niche old school York reference. Well, it's, I am the resurrection at the moment, so um, that's, that's no. It's changed. Oh, has it's it changed. changed now? Yeah, it's uh, Elvis's suspicious minds. Oh, is, is it? it? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right. more of the uh, Iron Maiden era myself. Yeah. But well, yes. I'm just going to go back again. But um, <laughs> Alex and I went to Shed Seven, Shed Seven in Halifax last year, and Wedding Present were one of the support bands, and they were absolutely on fire. So they were brilliant. David Gedge and, and the brilliant. Wedding Present were fantastic as well. So yeah, yeah it's all Amazing. it's all coming together. Um, I love neat neatness. I like, I like a bit of neatness. So, now, can we get a bit geeky here, just just in case, because we do like to check. So, your your first, you know, your first chosen gig there. You said it was your, your friend's band. You went to see the wedding present. Do you happen to have still the ticket stub? No, I never kept that stuff. So, did, have you ever have you ever done that over the years? Kept the ticket stub? I probably did or... when I was a teenager. But yeah. I don't have any of that stuff anymore because I've got quite a big record collection um, right. and I've sort of DJed on and off for years. So, And I used to I used to run a venue down in London. I was a music programmer. Yes. Um, and I guess just over the years, I've had to just throw a lot of stuff out. So, no, yeah. I haven't. I didn't really keep anything at all. So what you're saying, Adele, is that you haven't uh, you haven't collated all your ticket stubs from the years. Nope put them into a scrapbook and then no. uh, written it up into a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. You've not done no, that. No, but I think I might have a couple that I kept from the nineties. Unlike you two. And, well, who, I, let, me just, hey, let me just albums. say this. I'm proper geeky, <laughs> but I have not got an Excel spreadsheet of all my gigs at Dale. But so, someone, <laughs> someone has. Don't knock it, Alex. Don't knock it. Um, I, it was in lockdown. <laughs> It was in lockdown and I was I was just doing a bit of research when we were starting this podcast and I had a look through the tickets and thought this is this isn't sustainable me having to flick through here what I need is them all in front of me so that I can then search by venue by town by year by month by band uh, do you know that that's commendable thank you that's commendable your level of commitment yeah commitment's Chris. one word for it yeah yeah <laughs> That is that is commendable, Chris. Yeah, I'll take commendable any day. That's great. <laughs> now, we uh, I genuinely wanted to ask you about your time in London. You just mentioned it there. Um, where exactly was it? It was on Brick Lane. So oh, I was to, it? Fab. Yeah, what, I, I used to run a, It was called the Vibe Bar. And okay. it was like um, a venue in the Truman Brewery on Brick Lane. And it had like a courtyard out the front. Um, yeah. I used to put gigs on inside. Inside, it held about two hundred people. Um, I put all sorts of bands on. I had like gigs happening maybe three or four days a week, three or four nights a week, wow. and all sorts of music um, and all sorts of bands. Some of it was pretty wild. Um, that becomes a real job then. Yeah, it was my job. Programming, yeah. and that's a it's a real job. Does that spoil your love of live music? Does it sort of take the sheen off it? Like, I love pizza, but I don't want to work at Pizza Hut. Yeah, it did at the time. So it took uh, it took a long while to heal. I think after yeah. that, so you become 
you get sick of being called out because the, the, the sound's gone and we need the leads reconnecting into the amp on, at 10 o'clock on a Friday night or the deck's broken or like one of the band members is kicking off because, I'm, you know, just there's, there's always something, there's, yeah. you know, it's not an easy job and you're firefighting metaphorically a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and I think what, I got to a point with it where it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was uh, trying to sort something out with some kit that had gone wrong. And I remember looking out across the dance floor and I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of it. It's too, I'd rather be in bed. I don't want this <laughs> life anymore. And it become, you know, it become a job uh, rather than something that I really loved. A passion. And so um, I jacked it all in and I went to university. So when I was 30, I became a mature student and I went to learn how to write um, and walked away from music. Um, and I haven't really returned to it until recently. I had managed a band as well. So I, I, I was running a venue and um, I managed a band called Selfish Cunt, who were like this kind of outrageous, raucous, electro-punk band during the shortage period, sort of right. around the Libertines era. Um, okay. And, yeah, they, uh, they they made quite a quite quite a ripple, did they not? Yeah, they did a single called "Britain Is Shit." Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I I totally know them, and you were the manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like Brilliant. not for very long, and I wasn't very good at it. May I? Add. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm really cut out to be a band manager. Um, but yes, I mean Martin, the front man in Selfish Cunt is one of the great frontmen of that mm. period. He was fantastic. Um, and to have a kind of queer, um, Blackburn, working class, outrageous frontman was a rarity then. And it's a rarity now, you know, to be yeah, fronting a absolutely. punk band who sounded like the Dead Kennedys, you know. Yes. I mean, they were really ferocious and I was very excited about them. How did you go about promoting them? Because I'm guessing that the name would make them quite a difficult sell. I'm I'm just spitballing here, but yep. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're never going to go very far with a name like that. No, no. You're not going to be getting radio play. Let's put it that way. No, when when there's there's no radio edit of the name, is there? You can't do a radio <laughs> edit of the name. No. no, but they were often in the enemy though, and the music. Yes, press. they were. Yeah, the music press were always you know, bringing them up because of the, the reputation that they were getting with the live gigs. And that's what, yeah. that's what I find really interesting. And uh, maybe it was because of the name, but I know them because of their live reputation, not because yeah. of their recorded music. Yeah. They, they were a truly great live act. Yeah. They were really great. So we're going to take you into the quick fire round, and the answers the answers don't necessarily have to be quick fire. We're a bit we we play fast and loose with this, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll see how we go. So um, the first question is your favorite live band. My favorite live band. Um, well, I would say probably the best live band I've seen, um, rather than performer. Um, would be Iggy and the Stooges. 
and I saw them doing Funhouse uh, in Hammersmith, probably 2004, uh, with the Ashton brothers. And wow. That you know they're the real deal, aren't they? They were incredible. So the Stooges definitely. Uh, I was very lucky to see them at that point. Um, the other performer would have to be Prince. And I saw Prince at, um, at the MEN arena and it was a random gig that I went to. I got guest list tickets last minute. Not a massive Prince fan. My sister is. She said I had to go. So me and my husband, Ben, turned, we rocked up last minute. Prince was just unbelievable. Prince is like, like not a human being. He's no. not of this earth. Prince is um, the musician that all musicians should aspire to be. He yeah. was incredible. Was that with their Third Eye Girl? Yeah, yeah. Right, I was at that gig as well at the MEN. Um, yeah, I mean, just like, um, I can't get my head around how a, uh, a, somebody can play so many instruments and write so many wonderful songs and perform like that at yeah. the same time. It's like the whole package. Yeah, I promise you, God's honest truth. If my son was here now, he'd be in trouble because <laughs> he should be in school. <laughs> Yesterday, we um, he was very much excited for the Super Bowl halftime show oh, last right, night, yeah. which was going. Now he watched it this morning before school, which was uh, Dr. Dre and Eminem and oh, yeah, Mary no, Blige. Blige, yeah, and um, Kendrick Lamar. Oh and, yeah, um, I was. I actually yesterday sat and showed him. Prince's halftime show in the pouring said, rain. Look, yeah, yeah, I said this is one of the greatest halftime shows ever because it was hammering. It was it was storm weather, and um, there's an interview with the uh, event manager or the stage manager who, in the morning, just phoned Prince and was like, "Have you seen outside?" And Prince went, "Yeah, just make it rain heavier." And the guy's <laughs> like, <"What?" laughs> "Did he do Purple Rain?" Yes, and if you, <laughs> if you watch it, well, the, the balls on the man, if you watch that halftime show, that you know you only have, was it 11 minutes or something daft like yeah, that? I think it was about 14, something like that. They did last he, night anyway. They had about 14 minutes, I think. He throws, he th throws away. He throws away two songs. He does All Along the Watchtower, and he does um, Foo Fighters, uh, the best. What was that? Is that called the best? You give me the best, the best, yeah, the best, best, of you. best of you. He just, yeah. he just does two covers, and you're like, what? Because literally, he's Prince, and he does what he wants. He's not going to go out there and just do a, a greatest hit. So he'll come out and do "Let's Go Crazy," and then, hey, I tell you what, I'll do a Foo Fighters cover, and then and I'll it'll do be better than the Foo Fighters version. And this is the thing. <laughs> yeah. And then they they throw they hand him up his his cymbal guitar, and he does "Purple Rain," and it is. <sighs> It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. And so I'm explaining to George uh, a bit more about Prince. And I show him one of our favorite clips on this podcast, which is uh, the George Harrison Hall of Fame performance, where you've got Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty, George Harrison's son, all of them. They're all there uh, performing while my guitar gently weeps. Uh, Have you seen this no. piece of footage? Oh, Adele, oh. you will cry laughing because Prince wanders on. And as you've got Jeff Lynne, Tom Petty, and all them with their acoustic guitars doing lovely, honest versions. They're Prince solid. They're solid. They're, they're, solid. They're, doing, they're doing very well. Yes. 
And you, I, I kid you not, you see the glint in Prince's eyes. I think eye I might have seen time. this. Yeah. Yes. I think I and might have seen on this. And noodles through it and makes them all look so stupid. And as he finishes, throws his guitar up in the air. Now, I've seen another angle on this, so I know what happens. But he throws his guitar in the air, and that's it. Guitar's disappeared. You don't know where it's gone, and he just wanders off. And it is the coolest, funniest thing. And George could not stop laughing, slash, just being all. We watched it a few times. And I've actually seen a camera angle, and it's very he's very lucky because there's a, a roadie that literally just goes, boom, grabs the guitar out of nowhere. Right. But all, most of the footage, you don't see him at all. You just see Prince. I just assumed it was God. Throw the guitar in the air and it just disappears. I thought God <laughs> just caught the guitar and went, I'll, I'll look after this for you, mate. <laughs> and so I, I nearly shed a tear yesterday because i that's my one regret. I never got to see Prince live. Oh. Yeah. And you two, you two did. A couple of times, mate, but never mind. Um, I, I think more than I, once. I went down to London and saw him perform at the O2. Yeah. Um, ne- next question, and I think you might have answered this early doors, but your most memorable gig, I don't know, maybe that was the Fat White Family with um, with Bill Bar. Twenty fifteen. Anyway, yeah. um, um, would that be most memorable gig, or is there another one in? Yeah, there? I would say pro- it's probably up there. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm going to take you straight on then because I like this question and how it's interpreted. What's your worst gig? The fall. Uh, yes. the fall now i i love the fall and yes. actually probably one of the best gigs i've seen is the fall um yeah. when i saw them at the trades club they were fabulous um but i saw a, a terrible fall show and to be a fall fan means you have to endure the hard times of the yes fall yeah you do that's part of the deal yeah. You know, um, and you accept it. You accept that sometimes the fall are not going to be great, but you're still going to go watch them again <laughs> on the next tour and the next tour and the next tour. You have to be a member of the fall as well. That's the other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it's a long term commitment. You know, you cannot be a fall fan and just they play badly and you don't go and see them again. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> no. you have to be committed to the cause here. So, yeah. um I went to see them uh, in the 90s on the infotainment scan tour. So I can't remember what year it was. They played a couple of days before Christmas. So the day before Christmas Eve, I think it was. Um, My mum had bought me a ticket for my Christmas present that year. So I was really excited to go and see them. Um, And I turned up and the York Barbican Centre is the worst. Oh, dear. It's like, it's like, a badminton court with <laughs> yeah. a stage at the end and the, the acoustics were terrible and I saw quite a few bands there in the 90s and it was always sounded awful like really <laughs> echoey like oh horrible anyway the fall play um they've got bricks in the band so I thought that there was some hope that they <laughs> yes. could um Mark gets on stage and I think he must have had a bottle of brandy before he gets on stage. It's just like staggering about, being rubbish. And he had a Christmas jumper on. I remember him wearing a Christmas jumper. And it just sounded terrible. And I don't know if it was where I was standing. I don't know (laughs) if it was the York Barbican Centre made it sound particularly bad or just they were bad. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure. But let's yes. be generous and let's let's just say that it was where you were standing. From where you yeah, were standing, where standing, they were awful. It sounded horrible. Yeah. Um, but the second worst gig was Amy Winehouse at Somerset House, um, and that was just terrible. I didn't pay. My friend worked for the record label. She got me in. And Amy Winehouse was completely paralytic. She yeah. couldn't even hold, she couldn't hold a line. She was so drunk. She shouldn't have been anywhere near a stage oh. that plastered. And actually, yeah. I think Marky e. Smith was probably that plastered at that gig. So I think the two worst gigs were when people have had too much to drink and they yeah. get on the mic. That's the, the, those, those Amy Winehouse gigs, sadly infamous, were heartbreaking. Yeah tragic yeah i mean it was awful she sounded so bad and when you know what a great singer she was yeah and actually she can't she just can't hold it together so that mm. that was kind of it was quite depressing it was quite sad to see her like that oh yeah. man yeah that is that is sad what's your um still in the quick fire round what's your favorite venue if if pushed uh well it has to be hebden bridge trades club it's got a sprung dance floor <laughs> It's a proper old school working men's club. It's got booths. So you've got somewhere to have a nice sit down if you want to sit <laughs> down. And I like that as I'm getting older. I don't yeah. always want to be standing all the way through the gig. Uh, I like a room that's square rather than yeah. rectangular. So I like a square room because I think it's a better experience for the audience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's got a sprung dance floor. So it bounces. Um, I saw King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard play there. Oh, brilliant. Um, and they played Brixton Academy the night before, and then they come up and play the Trades, which is 180 capacity. It's sold out. I get into the venue. It's totally rammed, and it's full of kids. There's, the kids love them. They've got a really big cult following. Yeah. And, you know, they did that video for Rattlesnake that's got, yeah. became a meme. Anyway, all the kids are there, packed out, Giz come onto the stage and there's about nine of them and they're like, all right, mate, because they come from Australia. Like, they can't believe it. They're like, what we're doing in here is like, they all like cram onto the stage, nine of them. <laughs> and they open with Rattlesnake, which is their biggest track. Imagine opening with that. The whole place yeah. explodes. The kids are like <laughs> jumping up and down and the dance floor starts springing up and down because it's like this enormous mosh pit. And I thought the building was going to collapse. It was so exciting. They were fantastic. And the video of that show, just look it up on YouTube. Oh, is it on? Um, King Gizzard, uh, Hebden Bridge Trades Club, Rattlesnake. You'll find it and you'll just see it like, oh, it was amazing. So exciting. Amazing. It was so, yeah, it has to be the trades. I love that place. It's my second home. It's a it's a great venue. It's a great venue, and a sprung a sprung floor adds so much to a gig. It does, like the, yeah. The the Ritz the Ritz in Manchester. The Ritz has one, yeah, yeah. It, it's still the old sort of ballroom floor, and and Blackpool. Blackpool, the yeah, ballroom. yeah, yeah. What one of the most wonderful experiences was seeing the Chemical Brothers yeah. in Blackpool Empress Ballroom. And they come out and start with "Hey boy, hey girl." Yeah, and everyone just goes off. Oh, it? and I kid you not, Brilliant. when that when that bass line drops, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, the yeah. floor. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I was moving, but it wasn't me propelling. It, you're yeah. just being propelled. That that sprung floor just adds to the atmosphere. There's something there. about those old venues that they just have character, and it feels right when you walk in there. So yeah. I 
personally love working men's clubs, any old working men's clubs, because you can just, it just feels right when you're in there. Yeah. Like the Brudenell. So I was just about to say needs. the Brudenell, yeah. Yeah, I love the Brudenell. Like, I've been going there for years. And it just, you walk in there and it's just lovely. It feels so good when you're inside that venue. I don't like many of the modern venues. I mean, I hate the fact that there's, like, O2 branding on loads of these old venues. The Town and Country Club in Leeds, I used to have a real affection for it. But as soon as they stuck that branding on it, I never went back. I feel like it's like, like the character gets ruined um but i saw some great shows at the tnc um once upon a time Um, but i don't know i just really love i love these old venues and i love i love these kind of um old school old school places they have more character and feeling Yeah. yeah what's the most unusual gig you've been to for any reason most unusual gig i've been to was by a band called menlo park so this was um, in London and it was at an old Freemason Hall, which was next to Liverpool Street Station. Oh, yeah. And um, we all had to wear cloaks. We were given like cloaks and like a hood that we had to put on and gold masks to go into the venue. And the venue was in the venue. The gig happened in the Freemason Hall in the room. And we all had these, it was all very kind of ritualistic. And it's the only time that I've ever had to dress up as an audience member. Wow. Did you hate it or did you love it? It was great. It was like really mystical. Like it felt really good. And the band were good as well. Were they all fans? Were the audience all fans? Obviously. I think we were all invited. Lots of different people were invited and they just played the show. And Was there not, I'm I'm so, I I would love it. But was there not a sort of cynicism in the audience? Were there, were, was there not a vibe of not what? Really, because they were kind of a jazz band in a way. So it was uh, the the band. It had um, I think Seb Rochford was in the band, who's a, a brilliant Scottish drummer, um, and I think Pete Wareham might have been in the band. He's he's in Melt Yourself Down and various other other bands. Yeah. He's great great sax- saxophonist. Um, so I think they were in that band. But yeah, I remember that being quite unusual in the sense that we had to dress up and we were given a, an outfit to wear when we arrived. Was that the That's limit to the uh, audience participation was just that? Yeah. Or was there other stuff you had to do? Okay. Well, I, I think no. I would handle that okay. I, I think anything yeah. more than that, and I'd probably leave. Um, yeah. But I think the, the, the cloak, that, that, that would be okay for me. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the only time that's ever happened, but it was good. You want to get yourself into a cult, Chris? Come on. Not one that has hoods, mate. No. (laughs) Well, we're going to move you on to your fantasy festival okay and you're curating a day yes and i would normally ask you where you'd like it to be but because of the way this conversation has gone it's going to be in your favorite venue there so it's going to be in the trades club it's going to be in the trades club yeah absolutely and so (laughs) you have one band that's going to open okay you then have a spoken word performer you have your second band yeah 
a DJ slot, and then you've got your third and fourth band, you know, your support almost slot, and then your headliner. Okay. So we're all we're all coming yeah. to Adele's day at the Trades Club. And yeah. who who is opening the day for us? Well, I figured that because it's the beginning of the day, people don't want to be bombarded with anything too hectic early on. Yeah. So I would open it with Alice Coltrane. I would have oh, Alice wow. Coltrane playing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think some of my choices might be um, no longer alive. Is that okay? Is that allowed? Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't have to be people who are alive, does it? No. 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 Yeah, so Alice Coltrane, I would have her opening because I think her sort of playing the harp and playing this sort of spiritual um, psychedelic music would be a nice introduction to the chaos that's going to come later on. That's very Hebden Bridge. It is very Hebden, yeah. <laughs> Are there any live recordings of, of Alice Col Coltrane? That, oh, there probably you... will be, yeah. Right. Um, well, so basically, you, you, as with all our guests, you will have a, a page on our website which will have loads of videos of um, performances that you mention, and you'll have your okay. own you'll have your own playlist as well. But we'll get okay. some Alice, Alice Coltrane on there as well. Um, okay. So, spoken word. Mm, yeah, who's going to be the spoken word performer? Um, I, I think it would have to be a comedian. I would would want oh. somebody who was funny. I would choose my my favourite comedian, uh, which is Richard Pryor. So I would have Richard Pryor in conversation. What? Well, yeah. do you know what? Oh, I heard, I, I don't know if you saw on, on Twitter last week, but somebody shared a foot, footage of a, a very young Richard Pryor singing. Um, I'll try and find it, but my God, he had some pipes on him. He could sing as well. So if he was doing a bit of a stand-up set and... <laughs> A couple of tunes as he was he was really really good and this must be from yeah. the late late 60s i think i um, just watch his routines all the time i just think he was the funniest man ever yeah. of all time and i truly love him from the bottom of my heart yeah do you have a favorite routine of his uh it's always the one where he does an impression of an animal because his impressions of animals are really so any of them where he's pretending to be his dog like that they yeah. are always the funniest or when he sets fire to himself when he's freebasing crack uh, <laughs> yes that's, yeah that's a great routine that's a really good one mine isn't so much a routine but it's when i saw him in superman 3 at the cinema and when he fell off the building and then styled it out i think um that is <laughs> <laughs> that is the moment where i first became aware of richard Pryor. And thought, I, I need to find more of this man. He's amazing. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but surely the, the, the audience, you, you're treating them. Surely, I mean, where, where do you go from there? I mean, where, where you go is to the second live band. So we've had Alice Coltrane and then, oh, Richard Pryor. Yeah. And he's he's walked off stage and yeah. the techs uh, are very quickly getting the next band ready. And yeah. the next band to perform is? Dr. John. Dr. John, that's nice. a great choice. That's a yeah. great choice. I love that. Yeah, I'd have Dr. John doing Gree Gree. Okay. I think that Brilliant. would be it. I think like things are starting to build by this point. Why, why Dr. John? How did how did you fall in love with Dr. John? I just, like, I, I just really love that album. I love Gree Gree. And I think he um, 
brought in lots of different elements to his music. So he obviously had like the rhythm and blues um, and the jazz, but also this kind of deep, dark, mystical, psychedelic leaning. Um, And that album is perfect. And and I just think he was a great live performer at that point in his career as well. So he was doing all the kind of voodoo routine. So I definitely have that. I think it would be good for the audience. Yeah. to have some heavy voodoo vibes. Was he from New Orleans? Yes. Oh, right, yeah. okay. So that explains that whole kind of yeah. melting pot of, of yeah. styles that he had as well. Yeah. So I think that would go down well, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. So <laughs> this, is, this, is quite the, because this is quite the day. I feel, <laughs> I feel quite exhausted already. I mean, your brain would just be like, and your cheeks would be sore. Okay. <laughs> you then have, we then have a, a, a DJ slot. Yes. Someone's going to spin us a, a, a lovely hour-long set yeah. as we have a drink, have a dance. Who's that going to be? I think my DJ would be somebody that no one will have heard of. Uh, and he was a guy called Tony Calypso, who used to DJ at a pub in Leeds in Chapel Town called The Hayfield, which was like a really Brilliant. rough pub. And Tony Calypso used to play records on a Friday and he played really good music and he used to play good reggae and good soul um, and just groovy vibes. And yeah, I would have him on. I'd have yes. him on the decks. I don't want anyone famous. No. You know. Move no. over, fat boy Slim and Carl Yeah, Cox. yeah, he had good taste. So I'd have him on because he'd be the vibe master. Tony Calypso, master of the vibes. I love it. He sounds amazing. <laughs> Tony. Hey, Tony Calypso. Yeah. Is he still is he still with us, Tony? I have got no idea. I doubt it. He wasn't famous in his time, but right. uh yeah, those who went to the Hayfield would remember him. Okay. I genuinely love that. That 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 local DJ, that man who I don't know what he thought of what he did, but had that effect on you and yeah. I'm sure other people yeah. as well. I love that. That's there's great. A, I, I remember going to Ramsbottom a, a few years ago and there's a pub just by the railway station. I think it's called the railway. Um, but anyway, on a Sunday afternoon, um, not in the evening, in the afternoon, there was a jazz DJ and I've never seen a jazz DJ before, but basically he would mm. just, he had his record player. Um, at, at decks, maybe you'd call them decks, but it, it was, in the way that he was playing them, it was a record player, a gramophone. Yeah. And he was just putting on, you know, a bit of Acrobilk. And then he'd take that one off and then you put another record on. And you, there was no mixing or anything like that. It was just, I love that. Brilliant. It, was, it, it was gorgeous. Brilliant. And then he'd, you know, play maybe a bit, something a bit modern like Miles Davis. And then um, something a wee bit, um, you know, old. So he'd put on some Scott Joplin or something. And and it was just the most chilled out, you know, every, just have a, a pint of real ale. Um, you've just walked the dog and you sit down and listen to some, old jumping jazz. jazz records in a pub. It's really great, Ramsbottom. isn't it? Yeah. The other thing that. I really love is, um, like, the, you know, like in the working men's clubs, if you, you go to a Northern Soul night, um, the DJs used to introduce every record. So they'd yeah. be like, oh, this one yeah. is a 19, 1962 original cut. They'd tell <laughs> you what the record was, who was on it who produced it, and then they'd play it. So you'd yeah. get a full introduction. I love that. You're Brilliant. getting your money's worth there. You're getting your money's yes. worth. 
We should bring that back. We should bring that back. <laughs> so it's towards the end of the night. The penultimate yes. band are coming on. We have two more bands, penultimate and the headliner. Tony Calypso so, has got the crowd to an absolute peak. Or yes. so we think. Everyone's yeah. on the yeah. floor. Yeah. Who's coming on? Um, I would put on at this point Betty Davis, who uh, the queen of funk, the Ooh. greatest, one of the greatest performers of her generation. Um, wow. Um, she was married to Miles Davis for one year. She electrified him, you know, his whole kind of bitches brew period that's right yeah. um but her albums are phenomenal she died the other day sadly. yeah a couple of days ago um, but what did she I, I, yeah she died a couple of days ago um but i would have to put betty davis on because she slayed on the stage she was unsurpassed um yeah. and all these performers that came after her none of them were as good um right. i just think betty ruled so i would have her on definitely wicked Okay, here it is. We've got the closing act, the headliner. The headliner has got to be The Doors. <laughs> that's, that's how you top everything else that you put on that day. You bring Jim Morrison, Ray Manzarek and the boys on. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Like They're just like, for me, they're the band I have loved the longest in my life. I've been a, a hardcore Doors fan since I was a teenager, They've never left me. I never get sick of them. Live, they were phenomenal. The Hollywood Bowl performance, it's so great. Go and find it online. Go and watch it. That's how it's done. It's pure punk. It's pure garage. It's pure anarchy, theatre, joy, destruction. It's just everything. It's perfect. They were the greatest rock and roll band of all time. That's it. The well, doors will headline. You've, ju- you've just <laughs> answered. You've just answered our next question, um, which was, "Who do you really wish you could have seen live?" But now it's not going to be possible. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing it would be the doors. Absolutely, yeah. And my friend Elliot Rashman, uh, he saw them at the Isle of Wight. Wow! And it's just the way he describes having seen them, and uh, it was just like a, a really wonderful experience for him to hear them and to watch them play. Um, um, I know somebody else who saw them as well um, in, in America. Uh, and that is pure jealousy for me. That's the one band I wish I could have seen. But there is some really good live footage of them that you can watch. Yeah. What what year was their Isle of Wight gig? Isle of Wight must have been right towards the end, I would have thought. Um, when did they play Isle of Wight? 70 something? Yeah, it was either 70 or 71, I think. Yeah. I think it was because yeah, right he died. He died early right. 70s anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. I went to his grave, actually. Um, oh, did you go I, to Père Lachaise? Yeah, I did. And I'd never been a, a massive Doors fan, but I did. I, I was kind of drawn to it because we found ourselves there for some reason. Um, and and it, was, it was quite moving. It was really. Um, mm. it, I expected it to be a bit of a, I don't know, a bit tacky and with really, but it was. I thought it was it was quite respectful what what fans had done, and um, it's obviously well looked after his his grave there. So yeah, I found it quite moving actually. Old old Snake Hips himself, Jim yeah. Morrison, yeah. eh? Yeah, very much maligned, 
very much maligned. Um, nobody's remotely interested in him now. Um, you know, only the old old folks out there like like us are kind of still interested in the doors. They're not like the kids aren't into them at all anymore. They have no relevance to the youth in 21st century culture. They might come back at some point. But I was going to say, I wonder if they do. Kids don't listen to them anymore. We did. I listened to them when I was 15, but 15-year-olds yeah. now don't listen to the doors. Well, in my student halls of residence in 1994, probably yeah. every second room had a, a Jim Morrison or Doors poster. It was the law. You had to have that yeah. or the or the angel with a fag. Yeah, was... but it's just not remotely fashionable anymore. You know, yeah. it's, go, it's, go, it's, it's going to come back, surely. I mean, we have psych fest and so. all kinds on it, it, it. The doors of, do you know, I'm going to make it my mission. I'm going to make sure my kids now listen to the doors. Yeah. I mean, you could get them to watch the uh, the terrible Oliver Stone film. Do you think it's terrible? Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched it again recently. Um, I loved it when I first watched it. It Me was too. like it, it opened my mind to the possibility of another life. And I, I thought it was really wonderful. It profoundly affected me as a teenager. Mm. But now I just, when I watched it, it was just so fucking lumpen in parts. He's really good, actually. I think Val Kilmer did a good job as Jim. Yeah. Oh, a great job. I yeah. thought that, I thought he, you know, actually hats off to him. Because ridiculous. he pulled it off. Yeah. Um, but there was too much music in the film. And it was just too like, oh, and this is how we wrote this song. And this is how, and it, it was yeah. just, they crammed too much into it. I think it was a cluttered film. I think um, there, there aren't many Oliver Stone films that stand up to a, a second watch. I would, I would say certainly not. You <laughs> know, wow. I mean, compared that, that, to you know, compared that, to the first time you saw it, you know, that's a podcast series in itself. Yeah. If you listen to the music, like I don't know, like the, the other week I was watching, it was on TV or something, but I watched Apocalypse Now. And the opening of Apocalypse Now, they use um, the end um, in the opening sort of sequence of him asleep. And then there's the uh, helicopter blades going round, which is the air conditioning blade in his on the Mm. ceiling. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. And uh, like the music just is wonderful. It's a a really great track. Um, But I think somehow Oliver Stone didn't really capture uh, the darkness. It all It's all a bit too uh, silly and bright. So a bit MTV. It is a bit MTV. And I don't know, like I'd read the No One Here Gets Out Alive by Danny Sugarman. Yeah. And really the Oliver Stone's script is just a, a, a an adaptation of No One Here Gets Out Alive. I mean, I have read a lot of book, books about the doors. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like the film is just a bit cheesy, but when you're a teenager, it's really exciting. Absolutely. Um, so it, was it made for 45-year-old cynical me or was it made for teenage <laughs> me? I think it was made for teenage me, in which yeah. case it worked. Yeah. So maybe that's Absolutely. What you need and now to you're do. a massive fan. Now you're yeah, a massive yeah, fan. Yeah, exactly. So maybe you need to show that to your son, the film. Well, well. He's 13, so I'll probably Not wait. Yeah. Might <laughs> <Probably laughs> be a little bit saucy for his yeah. age. Yeah, maybe <laughs> let him watch it when he's 16. I'd, I'll do that. My daughter can watch it in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a great day. That is one hell of a festival that I would 
pay very good money to be at. Mm. Some people, I'm not sure, I think they might struggle with that question, but you have nailed it. What a, what a performance. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to take you to the very, very end now. It's our last question that we ask everyone. And it's uh, and you've already given us so many, but we're going to finish with a live recommendation. And we, we just keep it as loose as that, because sometimes people might just want to recommend a live album that they love, or there's just a live video or clip or something on, on the internet that you love, or what... What is your recommendation for us to go and and listen to and watch? Well, I don't really listen to live albums, um, although my next door neighbour used to be obsessed with them and his entire record collection was all live albums. Can you believe that? Wow. Because actually for him, it was like reliving being at that gig. So, you know, he he collected live records. Um, Brilliant. But no, I've never really been into them. Um, But I do watch quite a bit of live footage online Um, and something that I watched recently that was a live gig and I thought was really great was the Pogues at the town and country I think it must have been like 88 or something and it was just like this Pogues show and it's really wonderful it's them really at their peak um, and superb really really superb so Go and watch the Pogues. Look it up. That's going to go on the on the website as well as all these other things that you've you've mentioned. Oh, I can't wait to put this together. It's going to be a fantastic <laughs> page. No, it's going to be an amazing page. Yeah. <laughs> when is the release date of um, of Ten Thousand Apologies? When's it out? Uh, it's coming out on February the twenty fourth. So, so not long. When this comes out, so is that a Thursday? Yes. Okay. So um, as this comes out on the Monday, so. Get your orders in now. Get your orders in. I can't wait. I really can't wait to read it. Yeah, I'm looking Um, forward to that. Yeah. I hope you like it. No, I know we will. I know we will. (laughs) We will. Well, what a lovely chat. Really, thank you so much, Adele. That's just been fantastic and and i'm sure everyone listening is going to be going straight to the web page now to to look back at the the playlist and, and all the videos and chris i'll see you at adele's festival in uh, in hebden bridge cannot wait <laughs> cannot wait <laughs> thanks a lot for having me Adele Stripe there. See what what a chat. It's um it's very predictable because I think at the end of every interview I say I could have gone on for hours. Well, I really could have. I could have gone on for days there because Adele has seen some gigs and listening to her talk about that fat white family gig in Hebden Bridge. Mm. <laughs> what a story! I yeah. wish I'd been there. I wish well, I'd been there. For what that. I'm going to do is I'm going to um, post a gallery on Adele's episode page on our website, a gallery of Fat White Family performing on the Enemy Tour in 2015. Uh, I'm actually going to re-edit the photos because I edited them back in 2015 and I can edit a little better than I did seven years ago. You are so much better now. I'm so much better yeah. Um, so I'll give them another little polish, a little another swing at them. Um, Do it. But I'll pop them on. And I was just thinking. So the first time I met um, Adele, 
We talked yeah. about her coming on the pod, but the first time I met her, I was photographing for Manchester Literature Festival, and it was um, her at home in Manchester um, uh, interviewing Bobby Gillespie, Primal Screams Bobby Gillespie, oh, right. yeah. for because um, his his autobiography had just come out. And it's, it's oh, I've forgotten what the title is. Something like the Tenement Kid. Um, That's it, yeah. But um, but it meant that I was able to um, get the final of my trilogy of um, grumpy frontmen portraits. So I had already Damon Alburn looking very grumpy, and yes. I had Brett Anderson also looking grumpy. Now Damon was yeah. grumpy at the time. Um, Brett wasn't. He was he was lovely, but it just so happened that he was looking quite stern. And um, but then I, I managed to get a, a portrait of. Bobby Gillespie as well, and my God, he he does not smile easily. That man, um, he was laughing and joking um, in the interview that Adele did on stage, um, but for the portrait, well, I'll, I'll post that as well because it's just funny. It just makes me laugh looking yeah. at it because he's he's looking like a professional grump. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. He sort of is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. So now I've it... completed that triptych of grumpy frontmen. I love that grumpy. Yeah, that's what you should call the exhibition, grumpy frontman. Yeah. So yeah, huge, huge thanks to Adele, um, and just a reminder that her book, uh, Ten Thousand Apologies, Fat White Family, and the Miracle of Failure, that she wrote with Lias from uh, from the band, is out right now. So get your hands on it. And we definitely have to follow up. We need to um, get ourselves over to Hebden Bridge and get to the Trades Hall and, mm. and see see a gig there with with Adele that would be brilliant we'll have you crowd surfing before you know it Chris so speaking of crowd surfing um your two headliners please so Glastonbury has got Billie Eilish on Friday and everyone's speculating about who's going to be the Saturday and Sunday who Mm. would your choices be then Christopher well I, I was thinking about it and um just mentioning Damon Albarn there uh I for all of my Britpop credentials and seeing just about every Britpop band going. I never saw Blur. Of course. I've seen Damon Albarn um, doing his solo stuff and I've seen um, The Good, The Bad and The Queen, but I've not seen Blur. So I would like to see them doing, yeah, doing a set at Full Pelt. I've got to just, only very quickly, I don't want to bore people. This never stopped you before. Yeah, I know. Especially, I like that. Look at you just piling in with your jokes. Yeah. And I want you to know, I swallowed a joke just seconds ago when you mentioned the good, the bad, the queen, involving Prince Philip, Prince Andrew and the queen. But I, I won't. Yeah, probably for the best there, yeah, I think. Yeah. So I won't make any jokes there. No. Um, I genuinely think it is bonkers knowing you as I do and any regular listen who knows our background, we're both, you know, spent a lot of time at gigs in the nineties and, and there it's, it's mind blowing that you never saw blur. I don't really understand how you miss them. It's crazy. I, no, I know. Well, I think Especially with I, all the festivals you went to as well. Yeah. Cause I went to tea in the park and um, quite a bit in the mid mid nineties, but it never coincided with blur. And I think I drank some of the Oasis Kool-Aid and it went, really? you know, are you, are you Oasis? Are you Blur? And I went, no, I'm Oasis, obviously, because I was an idiot. Um, well, you're, you're very much a sort of stereotypical Parker-wearing football fan, love a good scrap of a night. You I can't know. get enough of the scrapping. 
<laughs> I cannot get enough of the scrapping. So, um, yeah, not with my knees. No, no not with my no, knees. Oh, me swollen with, knuckles. Not with the sciatica, no. Um, no, <laughs> so I just, arthritis. It, it just never happened. And, you know, I would travel all over the place to see, um, to see, see Oasis, but I, it just never happened with Blur, and I well, really regret it. So, yeah, they, they would be playing on a Saturday night. In the past two weeks... There have been rumbles online that they are going to reform. Really? And what, yeah, yeah, yeah. What better way to announce that than a headline slot at Glastonbury? That would be, yeah. that would actually be, you know, the way to do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because I think, I think from from a Glastonbury point of view, Nick and Emily, you wanna you wanna impress, man. Oh, by the way, we've got a, a blur headline reunion gig. That would be immense mm. i would be i would be clapping loudly at that one okay so blur saturday and then who would you have sunday night and let me just say by the way acknowledge because it would be wrong of me because glastonbury have all also announced diana ross but they've also announced little sims headline in the west hot stage because glastonbury absolutely isn't all about the pyramid stage so for me you know where I'll be going, whatever night she's headlining that. I'll be off to see little little Sims. So I just want to acknowledge that in case someone goes, well, someone else has been announced, and you're absolutely right. It's little Sims. So mm. Sunday, who who's your headliner then? Um, it might be joint headliners, kind of for a bit of nope, party chaos. Not letting you. I'm not letting just... you. All right, well, I'd finish with chaos then, and I would yes. go with Devo. Oh man, you love Devo, don't you? I do, and I'd love Mark Mothersbaugh, the, the the stuff. So I I first got onto his his stuff um, uh, after the Life Aquatic came out. You know the Wes yeah, yeah, Anderson, yeah. and and so he he scored that, and but also um, there was a couple of Devo tunes on there, and I I just watched bits and bobs on on YouTube, and mm. I'd love to see them live. I think it would be, be great, crazy. wouldn't it? Yeah. I think they're one of those bands that, whether you're a big fan or not, if, if you're a fan of live music, you sort of have to see them. I feel like, oh, I need yeah. to see them live. I need to experience that. And the other band that I was going to choose, um, but I'm not allowed to, um, apparently. <laughs> yeah, you're um, not allowed. No. Uh, and it's a shame because they would have been great. They is... can go on before Devo. Well, that was what I was planning, yeah. Yeah, but even that. Real yeah. party band and then followed by some some chaos, uh, B-52s, because, again, oh, looking on YouTube from, you know, the stuff in the early 80s, oh, oh, they just look amazing. They look amazing. So, yeah, it would probably be B-52s followed by Devo. I mean, I don't know why you're not curating your own festival, Chris. Yeah, I know, in San Francisco. Exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. Well... Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did because she Adele is just brilliant and huge thanks again to Adele. Yeah. Um, and keep in touch with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gig Stories Pod. Yeah, check out the um, Twitter uh, because that is the only place that we'll be posting the daily Wordle. Um, the so, Gig Stories Wordle. <laughs> yeah. Will it and be ZZ Top? We're going to be running with this for as long as is possible. and For as long as Chris can think of bands with five letters or he can manipulate it. I'm good for at least the next two weeks, but you'll be <laughs> cursing me for some of them. And in fact, yeah, the one that I put on today, yeah, you're probably going to be cursing me for that one. But Right. Anyway. Come on, everyone. Let's end this. 
and get onto the Gig Stories Wordle. Right. See you next time. See you later. See you later. Bye.